Joshua chapter 6, our story continues. Joshua 6. Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance. March around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. And the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a shout, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, and then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and turned to the, returned to the camp. And they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking of any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of the Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, there you have it. You've been waiting all these weeks for me to finally get to the part where the walls of Jericho come down, because I bet some of you are familiar with this story, and you knew that eventually we were going to get to the good stuff, where the walls come down. But the question is, did you see how important all of that other stuff leading up to it was? 
Did you recognize as we've built up since the first of the year to this moment, there have been lots of ways in which they had to get ready to experience this moment of triumph. They had to prepare their hearts. They had to get to the point where they could totally trust the Lord. They had to get to the point where they were ready to put themselves at risk and they were willing to make a statement in their act of faith. And then they could enter the promised land. And then they could take the walls of Jericho down. And the thing they had to understand that was so vital was that God never changes. See, great things were happening to Israel throughout that process, and great things are happening here at Shiloh, and for the same reason, because of the same God. Because time is our thing. Time is what we have to deal with. History is our way of interpreting the passage of the years and the passing of the generations. But to God, who is timeless, this is not an event that is separated by thousands of years. It's simply another incident in God's existence in a way that we don't fully comprehend because God is outside of what God has created. Therefore, God never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and always. And this is why we know that the same truths that gave triumph and joy to the people of Israel will give triumph and joy to the people of Shiloh, even the people of your house. And so let's look at some of those so that we can get ready for triumph. And the first thing we have to recognize is the nature of the triumph. It was God's victory. It was God's plan that was fulfilled. It was the goal that God set that was accomplished. And it was done in the way that God chooses. The Apostle Paul says the depth of the riches of both wisdom and knowledge of God are unsearchable. No one could know better than the Creator the full, perfect, and absolutely divine will that God has. So therefore, everything we look at, everything we experience is filtered through our incomplete knowledge of things through sin. And therefore, we can't really expect our plans to be the best plans. We have to look for God's plans to work. And yet, God's plans almost always defy human logic. Wouldn't you agree with that? Let's take a look at what happened in Jericho that day. Can you imagine you Joshua's generals? Some of you have military background. Let's talk about this for a second. Joshua's generals here that they are to march around the giant walls of the city beneath the ramparts and the parapets. They're going to stand uh, at the base of the city's walls. They're going to walk around them. They're going to reveal their numbers and their armament, and they're going to expose themselves to those who have a higher ground. How many military people would find that a very poor way to approach an entrenched enemy? It doesn't make any sense. His generals must have thought that those giants, the ones described in the book of Joshua as men of valor, that's the same term that God used to describe the giants in Genesis chapter 6. 
the mighty men of renown. These people used spears that looked more like telegraph poles. And they were on top of the walls of Jericho looking down at Joshua's army. And Joshua's army was instructed to just walk quietly around the walls of Jericho. Would that make any sense to you, general? And then go home and wait for a while so they've got time to think about what they're going to do when you come back tomorrow. And then you do it again tomorrow and they watch you in wonderment. And then you come back the next day and they watch and they wonder. And all the while the generals thinking just as all the soldiers were, I'm sure by then, is he just going to keep parading us around these walls until they finally decide to start raining down rocks and spears and arrows upon us? But they listened in faith. They had been getting ready for quite some time for this day. And they knew the victory was the Lord's, so they obeyed faithfully, even though I'm sure they were fearful. Should I mention again what I've told you several times now about fear and faith and courage? They all go together. You don't really need faith if you're not afraid. You don't need courage if you're not afraid to do the thing that doesn't make any sense, to do the thing that seems quite scary anyway, takes a great deal of courage. And so they went in faith and courage to the walls of Jericho because God said to do it. They put their faith in God because they had been preparing for this day for a long time. Even though God's ways often go against reason. In my life as a pastor, I've noticed that this is often a difficult thing for uh, boards of trustees. Those are the people in charge of buildings and grounds and usually finance teams too. They're, they're very practical, intelligent people who are used to solving problems in the reasonable and logical ways. And then pastors come in and they ask them to do things that don't make any sense at all. And sometimes that's because pastors are knuckleheads, but there are other times when it really is a matter of faith. And I got to tell you, this church has some great finance people and some great trustees because they'll do that. They'll act in the same way the Joshua's generals did. They'll say, well, doesn't seem logical, but okay, God's in it. And so they trust because they've been getting ready for that moment when God would say, I've got this one. And they'll do it the way God intends for that reason, if nothing else. But don't think for a moment that it didn't take a great deal of courage for the trustee or the finance person or for the general in Joshua's army. They were scared and they had a good reason to be. But they trusted Here's another thing I noticed about this story that's really peculiar. God will ask you to do things that are out of the ordinary, even go against God's own instruction. This one really gets me. Do you realize that they went to Jericho on the seventh day? That would be the Sabbath day. By then, they have been instructed and have been commanded to 
practice the Sabbath. If you go to Israel today, as some of you have, I know, you'll find that on the Sabbath day in certain parts of town, you can't even get an elevator to operate by command. You have to just ride it wherever it goes until you finally get to your floor because they consider it work to use the elevator. And so they take this Sabbath thing very seriously. But in this particular story, God tells them to work on the Sabbath, to march to Jericho, to circle the city seven times and to shout. And then when the walls come down, to enter in and take control of the city. And what I feel like in this case is is they sort of work. It's work in the strictest definition according to Sabbath rules. But it's worship, too. People go and they worship on the Sabbath day. That's why we worship on our Sabbath day on Sunday. We, we have this sort of tradition that we uphold. And, and our worship involves singing and shouting. And some people sing and it sounds like shouting, right? Anyway, there is this act of worship that they're doing. They're going in mass as a body to this place where God has commanded them to go. And they are giving themselves to God, literally putting their lives in God's hand and shouting as if to give glory to God. And then the walls come down. The walls come tumbling down. All except one, at least. I don't presume to know exactly how this played out. It could have been all the walls. It could have been one wall. I mean, you only need one way in, but it doesn't matter at this point. One thing we know, though, is that Rahab's house was on an outer wall because we read earlier that she had allowed the people to escape, or the spies to escape out her window and off into the countryside. We saw where she identified herself to them by having the scarlet rope hanging from her window on the outer wall of the city. So we know that the walls came tumbling down except where Rahab and her family was, just as God had promised. And this brings us to another thing we need to keep in mind about how God triumphs. There will be people who will tell you that there are logical explanations for many of the miracles you read about in the Bible. This one has definitely been explained in a lot of different ways that all seem fairly plausible. It's easy to say, well, yeah, you know, the people marched, you know, a million people marched around a wall made of stone. And, you know, if they stomp just right, they create a sort of... Uh, harmonic issue that creates vibrations and then they shout really loud and that creates a a sonic sort of force that brings down the walls and it kind of makes sense. It seems plausible. I mean, after all, just 40 or so years earlier, they crossed the Dead Sea, Red, Red Sea, excuse me, wrong water, and They found apparently the only shallow place in the middle of an otherwise very deep body of water. And some people have argued that if the wind blew just so, they might be able to walk across on dry land. And it makes it easier for some to explain miracles away. Even the miracles of Jesus and the miracles that happen in the New Testament, some people have found a way to explain why. People have even found a way to explain the resurrection of Jesus, or why people thought Jesus was alive, even though he might not have been, or why he wasn't altogether dead. Or, and it's, there's logic to what they say. But the one thing I've learned about miracles, like the walls of Jericho coming down, is nobody can explain away the timing. 
And so when you want to see God's victories, what you have to look for is the perfect timing. You have to see how everything that God says will happen, happens not only as God says it will, but when God says it will. Those walls came down when the seventh day came and they made their seventh lap around the city and they shouted. Not before, not an hour or so later, when God said it would happen. They escaped, Israel escaped, that is, across the Red Sea on dry ground when Pharaoh's army was bearing down on them. Their destruction was certain. And it perfect at the perfect time, they escaped Pharaoh's army, and yet Pharaoh's army didn't escape destruction. And so you can say whatever you want about the plausibility of certain explanations of miracles in the Bible, but there's really no argument anybody can give for the perfect timing of the miracles of the Bible. Jesus rose on the third day, just as it had been said. The timing was perfect. And so God's timing is always perfect. And that's what we really need to recognize. And isn't it amazing how the God who is outside of space and time as we understand them always delivers us at precisely the right time. Always intervenes in exactly the right way. If we participate with God's plan. And this is, I believe, true for Shiloh and for you and your family. When you're looking for God's answers to your questions, it may not be a logical answer. It may be really hard to wrap your mind around what God's trying to do. You may be like Joshua's general saying, that's crazy. And then find yourself having to act in courage and do the unthinkable, the unreasonable anyway. And you may find yourself facing something that looks like complete failure. You may find yourself facing death. And it may be right down to the last minute and then God provides deliverance. Or not. God is eternal. God looks at you from an eternal perspective as an eternal creature. Do you ever stop and think about that? I don't know what I would say if I was pastor to one of those families that was affected by a shooting in Florida or hundreds of other terrible things that happen every day. I'm not sure what I would say in the particular setting or situation, but I know in my heart that we are eternal in that God has created us to be in God's presence for all eternity. And through Christ, we gain that relationship with God that creates an eternal bond. We get forgiveness for our sin that keeps us from being judged and found guilty and sentenced to hell. And we get eternal life in the presence of God in the day of resurrection in the future. And what that tells me is, is while our temporary existence on this earth is often filled with pain and discomfort and fearful, frightening things, and sometimes the deliverance that we think should come doesn't come, and yet God acts with perfect timing anyway, and the end of the, dis just end of the discussion always has to be because God is eternal 
and God has made me eternal, it's really just a question on what side of things will I find myself at the end. And this is what these people had perfected in a way, at least for this season in Israel's life. They had become so accustomed to trusting God. The manna came every day. The deliverance from enemies came without fail. The people who would not trust God so completely, who would not embrace an intimacy with God like that, died away. And those who were ready for that kind of relationship with God in a land of promise, well, they were just going to have to do the frightening and unthinkable, illogical things because it was better than the alternative. So it doesn't mean that they didn't have fear. It simply means that their fear didn't take the place of their God as ruler of their lives. Do your feelings, do your fears rule your life? Or does God There's the question that we all have to ask and answer. And it's probably an answer that changes from day to day. It's harder sometimes than it is at others. But where is your heart? Have you come to the place where you understand that you're not of this world anymore, you're just in it? Meaning that you have, as Gideon told us last week, dual citizenship. You have both a presence in this world and yet a lifelong membership in God's eternal organization. And therefore, you're weird. You do illogical things. You do things that don't make sense. You trust in a God who is invisible and soft-spoken at times. And you, you follow the lead of spirit-filled people who may be asking you to do things that don't make a lot of sense, but somehow you know God is in it, and you take the chance. And it's because you've become accustomed to seeing God win the day. And seeing God's triumphs. And the most important thing you do is recognize that they are God's triumphs. That we don't design them. We don't choose them. We look for where God is at work. We join God and obey God. And God's triumphs come. And we get to join in the celebration. This is our hope and our prayer as God's family, as the family he made us to be together in this place, and even in our own families, in our own homes, that we might not be governed by fear, but by the Lord. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts so that we might be changed forever by it. Help us to trust you all the more to live like we mean it. Amen. Mm